0: First of all, Happy New Year. Welcome to the show. And as one of our first episodes, we're interviewing Carl Banks. He is a legendary NFL linebacker. He's really well known for playing for the New York Giants for most of his career. And he was a key part of the notorious Big Blue Wrecking Crew, which was the nickname of the Giants defensive line during the 80s. They ended up winning two Super Bowls together with Carl on the team. And in 1987, Carl became a pro bowler. He even made the NFL's 1980s all-decade team. And if all that wasn't impressive enough, oh yeah, by the way, he was also drafted third overall. And if all that wasn't impressive enough, during this whole time, Carl was also operating a clothing line called G3 Sports, something that he still does today, 25 years after retiring from football. So we're interviewing Carl to hear about just what that was like to be such a dynamic NFL player, as well as operating a business full-time, something that he's still doing. We talk about growing up in Flint, Michigan, what it was like to, to first love basketball and then realize you're really good at football, as well as what it took dedication-wise to perfect his athleticism and his business skills. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And again, Happy New Year from all of us at Athletic Brewing. And by the way, Carl and I just jump right into it, so I'm gonna just throw you right into the interview. Enjoy. I would love to know where your story started, where you grew up, and where and what your childhood was was kind of like early on.
1: Wow. Um, first of all, thanks for having me. Yeah. And um, my my story began in Flint, Michigan. Just you know, blue collar town factory town general motors learned how to play football by just curiosity to be honest with you i think my family moved from chicago to flint michigan uh when i was like eight and so i'm walking through the neighborhood and see all these kids out in these uniforms and everything and i walk up to the coach without any permission from my parents or anything and it's like um how much does it cost to play? He's like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't cost anything. You just need to have your mother or father come back down with a permission slip. So that's what happened. And um, that was my first introduction to football. And it's so interesting, you know, the parallels of of my success as a um, football player and the roots of how it started and as it relates to this show's name, Um, without compromise is because I learned how to tackle the right way at age nine. Literally, our coach used to, his name was Rosie Haywood, he used to make us line up after calisthenics and practice with our heads heads up, bent back, like our neck is bowled back, and he would go and check every single guy And say, this is how you don't break your neck. This is so it was like the fear of tackling the wrong way. It's what really taught me like great fundamentals. Like he would teach fun before we would run a single play, all he would do, he would spend 20 minutes in practice, and we're like nine year olds with like little attention span, but you never forgot how to do it. And it was like and he was non compromising. And I never thought that I should tackle any other way than I learned. Because uh, number one, he put the fear of you know if your head goes down, he tells you, you know, this is the easiest way to break your neck. And from that point on, I was like, wow, this is this is how I have to play football, and all the other things that uh, we learned from that experience, and then just growing up in that that system we continued to emphasize those fundamentals. And, you know, I was kind of a late bloomer. Um, Mm -hmm. Basketball was my first love. I wasn't very good at it until I was. And then when I was, watch out. I was, you know, all-state basketball player, blue chipper coming out, but just wasn't tall enough to be a point guard because of Magic Johnson (laughs) in the 80s. He uh, revolutionized the position. So I was, you know, a 6'5 center slash forward and all of a sudden, the position evolved to um, you got to be a point guard if you're 6'5", because Matt Johnson's is 6'9", and I couldn't dribble that well. And my high school coach told me my, my future was in football anyway, but I was a football player without a position to go to the next level because I played offensive tackle and defensive tackle in high school, but I was projected as either a tight end or a linebacker, and
0: uh, linebacker it is. Well you got of didn't get over the fear of hitting the wrong way, but you didn't you weren't scared to hit, that's for sure. <laughs>
1: no, 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 no. Once I knew you know, once I knew how the right the right way to do it, I could I could take care of the rest of it. Yeah, and then, you know, like growing up it was, you know, Flint, Michigan's a small town, but it's a it's a sports town. We have a lot of NBA and NFL players to mm-hmm. come through there. Yep. And um I think the latest is Cal Kuzma is from the area but I you know it was kind of a I had great mentors when I was um growing up I worked in the cemetery for um from my junior year in high school throughout college so every every Christmas break and every summer I worked in Grace Lawn Cemetery
0: doing what? Diving Grace. Man that, that makes you think about life.
1: Well, no, I mean, people are were, people were dying to get in, you know? <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> yeah, so I spent a lot of time with the owner of the cemetery. His name was Peter Buderacus. And just little, you know, words of wisdom he'd give me and how to present myself. And he'd come out, you know, I'd be out working and he'd come and get me and take me to lunch. And we'd just sit and talk. And he was a guy, my father was a corrections officer. And he was a guy who employed a, a lot of transitioning convicts back into society. Mm. So I'm working alongside guys that really gave me a lot of insight in life, the do's and don'ts at a very young age, you know. And there was never a fear of me being corrupted by anyone, but I got great advice. I got like, this is what you can't do. And, you know, I, was, I wasn't the only local hero, but people were proud of the, the you know, the type of athlete and type of person I was. So it was all good. And then some of the guys that I worked um knew my father because he's a corrections officer. You know, so it was just like, you know, hey, we want you to do great and don't do this, don't do that. And it's just it was just a great experience. Um, and one I look forward to every year, uh, until I graduated
0: college. That is really fascinating. I, in all my research, I didn't run across anything that, that mentioned that, but how, I mean, how developmental is it to to spend your time doing that and working around those people? That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's an incredible, uh, experience. So what, so, you know, once you switched over from basketball to football, what, was your skill pretty evident or how, how long did it take before people started to notice you?
1: Oh, um, there was no switch. It was just the change in seasons. The, the the thing about the the athlete that I know from an era and the athlete that I know today is the under specialization of of skills. Meaning everyone thinks they should be sport specific, right? And I think it despecializes your ability to be the best at your sport. You're the best at doing one thing well, but your body doesn't do everything it should to make you better. That's why, you know, we played, we went from football season to basketball season to track. And if you didn't run track, you had to play baseball. And the cycle continued. So we were, and then the summers were were summer basketball leagues where we traveled throughout the state. So. It's, it was complete development of your skill set. So I still love basketball, um, had an opportunity to play JV for Michigan State when I went there, ended up breaking my wrist and uh, just focused on football. But it was, um, you know, just the other sports that I did helped me become such a more well-rounded football player.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And now you don't think that's happening now. It's kind of this hyper focus on one thing and just going after that.
1: Yeah, there, everyone has a trainer now, and that trainer only trains them for one specific thing. I'm like, go, go play basketball, go roller skate, go play racquetball, work on lateral movement, active lateral movement, not not scripted. You know, things where your your body has to react to something or respond to something. Um, that's random, because that's what happens. You know, football is random sometimes. Your movements are random, and you can't script those, so you want your body used to doing that. And it's the same with basketball, too. I think, you know, the specialization of it is, is, I think, hurting more so than it it could benefit.
0: I guess it was the era or before the era of Bo Jackson. and He obviously, you know, could do anything. Yeah,
1: I mean, there are still great athletes that play the game, And they do more than just their specific training. You know, a guy like Odell Beckham wants to be a soccer player, you know. So, I mean, those are the types of things you you want your players, your athletes to be. It's just well-rounded so that the body can respond to just about any random motion.
0: And and, and now, you know, in your effort of playing all these sports and, and developing pretty far in football, was it hard for you to make the decision to, to go to college to play football or choose that over anything else? And and what was that experience like at, at Michigan State?
1: It was an interesting experience coming out of high school, you know, because I had a graduating class of, like, 90 people. And so it was small high school, but, it you know, Flint was a big fish town when it came to its athletes. So, you know, we were recruited, you know, from north to south, east to west, um, I didn't get a lot of offers from big schools um, in basketball, but in football, I had, you know, some major schools from Ohio state to um, Oklahoma. Um, and this was Barry Switzer's Oklahoma and Billy Sims Oklahoma. So they were really good. Um, and I made a wise choice not to go there because they went on probation oh, uh, that, that next year. But the experience was great. Like being, Recruited was a fun thing, and my choice to go to Michigan State had nothing to do with their football team, believe it or not. Hmm. True story: I met Magic Johnson at a basketball camp the summer I was the, the summer before I was supposed to go to college. So that recruiting process was started, and um, I see Magic. Um, and we are going against each other, and he's already at Michigan State, obviously, but we were going against them in a basketball camp, Dr. Tucker's basketball camp in Lansing, Michigan. We, you know, became friends. He's a guy that we all looked up to, so obviously having Magic Johnson as a friend, when it was time to uh, start my recruiting visits, the person – that they paired me with was Magic. And Michigan State's football team was just coming off of probation. They weren't good. There was no stability at coaches, at head coach. And Daryl Rogers literally talked to me from behind a newspaper. And the next day, he was gone to Arizona State. Before I could get home, he was gone to Arizona State. But Magic Johnson told me, he said, you come to Michigan State, you won't regret it. The campus is the best campus You'll ever go to, and the people are great. Was he right? 100%. I had zero regrets. We didn't win a lot of football, but I was, you know, an All American. I was the first non kicker in the school history to be All Big Ten three years in a row. So it worked out. And, you know, the thing about it, because we weren't so good and there was no internet to speak of, I didn't have any idea, you know, where I ranked amongst players that were at these big schools and so when i was drafted number three overall by the giants i was
0: as surprised as anybody how did you get the news back then
1: um the phone rang in the coach's office and they called and it was bill parcells on the other end
0: (laughs) was i mean you just i mean do you have any sort of idea that anything like that would happen going into it is there anything you've read or like what do you know well
1: no well let me just tell you how that journey was an interesting one
0: okay because
1: after my senior year i didn't get invited to the senior bowl i didn't get invited to the combine um none of the all-star games and i'm i'm all big Ten first team and so my coach uh, george perlis said that i'm good enough and I just need, you know, I need to get on the right people's radar. He says, I tell you what, there's a, there's a bowl game, but it's played in Montgomery, Alabama on Christmas Day. It's called the Blue-Gray Game. He said, you go to that game, and I guarantee you, when you come back, you'll be invited to the Senior Bowl. You'll be invited to the uh, East-West, which was a great West Coast game. And you'll be invited to the Combine. So I go to the Blue Gray game. I get MVP of the game. <laughs> the game was coached by NFL coaches, so he gave me like direct contact, basically. And so by the time I got home, he had letters on his desk that said that they wanted me to be at in Hawaii at the Hula Bowl, at the Senior Bowl, Blue Gray game, and then the combine. And so. I went to all those bowl games and I always knew I was good enough, but there was all the big names. It was like Streets and Smith had the magazine and it came out like maybe quarterly, you know, in the summertime, in the middle of the school year and then at the end of the year. And so my name was never listed in the top 100 of anything, but I was reading about these great linebackers, you know, from Florida, Nebraska, Texas, Alabama, and so I see these guys at these bowl games, and I'm like, oh, man, what's the big deal? I'm better than these. I'm, you know, fundamentally sound, and I can do a lot of great things. But that was neither here nor there. I got a chance to showcase myself, and then I, you know, Bill Parcells tells a story that because of the success he had in drafting Lawrence Taylor, when he would go to the Senior Bowl other coaches would follow him to see who he's looking at. And he tells the story of how when he was at the senior bowl, he had to stand at a distance to watch me practice because if any of the other coaches saw him looking, he wouldn't have a chance to draft me because somebody else would. That's how I guess this this was his secret. But the team that thought they would get me was the Dallas Cowboys. So Gil Brandt tells a story that once I got to the combine, they had this very sophisticated hand-eye coordination and memory thing. I don't know if you ever heard of the game Simon, where all these different lights light up and you've got to, it was so sophisticated for its time. And Gil Brandt said that I got the highest score ever on that test. I don't think I missed one sequence ever. And he just, he had no idea that the Giants were going to draft me. And he thought that they would have an opportunity to do it. But so then that was that. And then the journey begins because once I found out that New York, had drafted me, then I found out that they had four Pro Bowl linebackers already.
0: Oh man, that's yeah, <laughs> it's some intimidating, intimidating locker room to walk into. Well, can I ask you this? What for you personally, how hard did you have to work to get to that point? And was the NFL on your radar of what you wanted to do? Was it like what you dreamed about at night?
1: I didn't dream about um, being a pro, it didn't sleep, it didn't um, keep me up at night. I never had the luxury. Um, again basketball is my first love football we were really good but when i got to Michigan state we were a bad football team so i my focus legitimately was to be the best i could i hated losing because I didn't lose almost ever in high school so it was just it losing was just the worst thing that could happen during my time at Michigan state it tore me up i was angry and my teammates didn't understand and I'm like you guys got to get tired of losing man I, don't, I hate this I you know I knew I was a good football player but I had no expectations right so my goal was to get my degree uh, I'm communications major and I thought you know what, I'd be writing commercials for an ad agency and and doing all of that stuff and, you know, being a broadcaster. And I got a chance, you know, once I left Michigan State, I got a chance to do all the above, you know, be a part of broadcasting, obviously, uh, with the Giants and some serious satellite radio and CBS radio and, you know, got a chance to do some commercials and write some fun stuff and read some fun stuff.
0: Oh, and by the way, I'm you know I was a decent football player. <laughs> From everything I've learned about you, your success seems to surprise you in a lot of ways. Is that true? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, I, I I
1: prepare. Uh, I prepare for. I prepare to be successful. Um, so I don't think I don't think success surprises me. I'm just kind of a um, not kind of. I'm I'm a humble person. When it comes to success, so I've taken a stride—not too high, not too low. But you know, anytime you, you you know you experience a great level of success, it's it's always fun, and I enjoy it. But I don't necessarily believe I'm I'm surprised.
0: I also heard you say that you really you really it really frustrates you when people don't try at least to reach their potential. Were you someone that was always? In the locker room or in the weight room trying to be the absolute best you could be?
1: Oh, without a doubt. That I mean, from middle school through high school through college, accountability was big. I mean, when you play for winning teams and you had coaches that um, worked so hard to make make sure guys were prepared and they did things the right way. You, you, you wanted to hold everybody accountable. So I didn't know any other way.
0: And you expected other people to do that as well.
1: Every, I expected everybody to be of that same mindset and it's a rude awakening, you know, (laughs) when. Is not everybody that way on an NFL team? No, not even on a college team. You know, sometimes it leads to friction. You know, I've had my run-ins with teammates that didn't hustle or work well, but when you get to a certain level of, of team chemistry, those guys start to stick out like sore thumbs. So it's not just you who's holding guys accountable.
0: I'm sure at that level, it gets to the point where they're in the minority than it is at, at lower levels of performance. Yeah.
1: So, and even in business, it's, you know, I'm kind of uncompromising with the way I see the business, the way the people that are on my staff, how they work. You know, in in the apparel business or in the design business, I've been around and I know my designers well enough to know if they're regurgitating styles from four years ago, five years ago. Mm. You know, and and it's a lazy approach because it hasn't been around in a while. You want to re-slip it. No, I'm like, let's go get to work. Go do some research. So it's just... You know, you you just have to work at it. You know, even as a broadcaster, I work. I'm sitting right now in front of my computer looking at film of the upcoming game for the Giants as if I'm still playing. I'm looking at the Chicago Bears offense and defense. Um, The only difference is I have to do a shameless plug. I am drinking. A run wild IPA.
0: Woo woo, baby. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) One of my favorites. So,
1: I mean, I am literally want to be the best I can be even as a broadcaster. Just making sure I familiarize myself with giant uh, opponents because, you know, being a radio uh, commentator, you are literally the eyes for those who are listening. Absolutely. So, in order to articulate exactly what's going on, you got to have a, in my opinion, you know, a, a, a an information base that really speaks to that your knowledge of the game and your
0: knowledge of of who's playing the game. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a lot to. It, it's a hard job. That's a lot hard. I think it's a lot harder than what a lot of people would just think it is to talk about what's happening right in front of you like that.
1: Well, the thing about it is, okay, you can say, you know, running back up the middle, gain of 10 Mm -hmm. and somebody driving in their car is going to be like, how the hell did that happen? Right. 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 And I have to articulate what happened. Um, One player was out of position or played a bad technique, which didn't allow for the linebacker, the inside linebacker to scrape over, or some guy was out of position. You know, these are all the things that fans want to know.
0: Absolutely. If And you, if you don't mind, I'd love to. You mentioned being in business, not having compromise within business. But what a lot of people, you know, might have not heard is, you know, you, you've founded a branch of, of sports apparel. But I've, I've, I've actually heard two conflicting stories. It was either in the second or third year of your professional NFL career that you started this what is that about how how did you have the like the bandwidth or the capacity to to do that and the idea where did that come from um well it
1: really all comes down to an idea a vision my second year yeah i saw an opportunity mm. is what i saw you know starter the the brand starter was the official sideline apparel uh for basically every sport before nike was nike and I was one of their um, ambassadors, and I got a chance to spend some time with their owner, their founder, David Beckerman. And David was very passionate about sport. He was very passionate about taking the essence of fandom and making it wearable, right? And so in doing so, I was like, I was loving all of this, but I'm like, when I grow up, I want to be like him, Right. But I looked for an opportunity and I was into fashion and I spent a lot of time at night, you know, when traffic died down, learning New York City and window shopping and looking at fashion trends. And I noticed that there was, you know, something that I hadn't seen in sports and that was leather coats um, with team names on them. So I endeavored to um, create a line of Licensed leather apparel. The NFL gave me an opportunity to do it as big and tall, suede only. So you had that all to yourself. Yeah. And my bigger, you know, obviously my bigger plan was to be a full, you know, a fully equipped apparel company, not just to do leather jackets, but I saw it as an opportunity to get my foot in the door. And it started off as big and tall suede, then it was big and tall suede, and leather and then it became outerwear all sizes and now it's five different brands and ladies apparel it's swimwear it's t-shirts it's fleece it's coats it's hats it's everything so you know it's, it's a lot of fun what's going on right now and, and i have a great staff around me and we're, we're doing some fun things and we're launching even more extensions to uh, our brand. We have the uh, DKNY brand that I just uh, developed for NFL, and we
0: just got a lot going on, man. You had a lot going on when you started it and playing football. Did you find it hard to balance all that? No, it's priorities, man. It's like
1: you you make choices, and as a um, a young professional in New York, you realize early on that, Wow. There's a lot of people here. There's a lot of information here. I'm curious. I want to know more. And there's a huge Rolodex in this, this city of New York. And, you know, I started to ask questions when I was doing appearances and learning more about people and, and how business works. And I, that was my priority is, you know, not knowing how long I was going to be an NFL player um, I wanted to make sure that I continued to build on some, some things that I had started and create, you know, a vision for myself or, or or manifest the vision that I had. And so I just started, started doing it. And, you know, being a part of the NFL, the one thing you realize, too, that they have the world's Rolodex. So if you ask the right questions, you get the right answers, and you get the right meetings,
0: you know? I, I guess you saw opportunity beyond your career, I I don't know. Was it just, just kind of knowing that my career would not last forever. I want to have something to transition into.
1: Well, more importantly, not knowing if it was going to last, you know, a year, two years or a game, Yeah, you know, so just making sure I was prepared and really did something that I, I was interested in. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, one thing to be like okay i'm done and i got this this gig or i'm working on some things i had, i was working on it while i was playing and now i'm doing exactly what i want to do i wanted to be in the broadcast business i'm doing that and by the way i work at it to be good at it to be consistent uh i wanted to be in the apparel business i wanted to be in the sports apparel business i'm here i'm working every day at it and I'm good. My company's good. My brand is good. And we just continue to keep working to improve, being the best um, at it. And you know, playing for great coaches like Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells and Al Groh, um, guys who are great teachers of the game and principles that you can apply in real life is is awesome because those are experiences that I've taken into business and experiences that. I can, you know, apply to my staff in terms of motivation and conflict resolution, and you know, being on time with timelines and things of that nature. It's so much slower in business than it is in sports. you say,
0: you say slower.
1: It's slower. Yeah, you got forty-five seconds to succeed or fail, and then you have to do it all over again. In business, you've got quarters to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got two and a half, three months. Sometimes success or failure in sports is: hey, you lost this one, you get up and do the next one, or else you're just gonna keep getting your head bashed in.
0: Wow. Well, was there ever a, a moment or or an instance where maybe compromise was an option, but you decided not to? That's a
1: hard one. No, I I, I, I don't know because I've never allowed myself to be in a. Situation where quitting was an option. I've just never quit. So I guess anything you do, failure is an option. You can decide whether to get out of bed in the morning or not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So success and failure, there's always an option. You can do one or the other. You just have to choose the right one. And that's kind of where my head was. That's how it was built. That's how it was. Trained, if you will, you know I was groomed to be successful if I just applied the principles. You know what I mean? I knew what I knew what failure looked like because I spent six years working alongside ex-cons. Right? I know it's. I know what failure sounded like. I know what it looked like. I know what I was warned against. Now I'm not risk adverse, but and I and I am very courageous, but. I've just never really thought about, I can't, you know, and anytime I say I can't do it before I could finish it, I'm saying I can do it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i just never, I've just never allowed myself, you know, I don't think I've been faced with the option of, um, should I, or shouldn't I? I? I'm sure I am, but I just have never allowed myself to really give equal weight to the thought of not doing it. You know, I've prepared for a lot of things in life. You prepare for your success, and you just have to go and, and do it.
0: You have to have the courage to do it. Well, let me ask you this, man. I know I want to be respectful of your time, and I want to ask a couple rapid-fire questions. Go. Speaking of that, setting your mind and achieving anything, what's the biggest goal that you have that you haven't achieved yet?
1: Oh, wow. Biggest goal that I have that I haven't achieved yet. Oh, well, I have my, my, my current goal right now is to grow my shoe business. Yeah. Starter shoes.
0: Perfect. What's the proudest impact that you've had outside of football and business? Uh, being a great example for my kids. Oh, that's awesome. What's a daily habit that you do that makes you who you are? Huh? A daily habit. I
1: would just say waking up, being grateful, and and starting my day thinking positive.
0: Hey, man, that makes all the difference. And and lastly, what advice do you have somebody to somebody that's maybe on the same road that you were twenty years prior?
1: Um, it sounds cliche, but it's you know just keep grinding, keep grinding, and keep believing that you can.
0: Hmm. That's the fundamentals of success, man thinking positive, yep. sticking with it. Yep. You, you, so you actually do enjoy that run wild.
1: I literally just finished one as we were talking I'm looking at um looking at some film here,
0: some wow. tape. Well, you can have a couple more and, and you're not going to feel t- you're going to you're going to feel great in the morning.
1: But the taste is great. That's the thing about it. It it is the taste is truly IPA. So yeah. I, I'm I'm loving it, man.
0: Well, we brew without compromise, and we love to talk to people like yourself that are living without compromise. So, I appreciate it. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. All right. right. You too. Bye-bye. Without Compromise is a production of Athletic Brewing Company. To learn more about our award-winning non-alcoholic craft beer, go to athleticbrewing.com. There you can also find info on our news and events, as well as how to get plugged in to the larger athletic brewing community. And lastly, we wanted to thank you so much for listening. Please share with us with someone you know, as well as leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And we'll see you in a couple weeks.